What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. You are listening to Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Great to be back with you folks uh, this week. You know, another Tuesday episode. We're probably doing a Tuesday episode next week as well. Um, you know, hope everyone is having a great holiday season. Um, you know, it's been a special time to spend time with my family. So hope uh, all the listeners are doing the same. Uh, before we get going this week, uh, thanks to John Veneziano coming back on Guest Friday. Uh, always great to talk soccer uh, with John. And it was fun to talk about the uh, World Cup, kind of have a recap, if you will. Very looking forward to uh, this week's guest Friday that Eric Bellier and I actually recorded yesterday. So you guys can listen to that on Friday. Really looking forward to having you guys listen to Eric and I talk baseball. Uh, baseball offseason obviously has been very interesting. We've kept you folks updated with the Red Sox. You know, we talk a little more about kind of the other teams in MLB free agency. So that was a fun conversation. Looking forward to putting that out later this week. So I think we're just going to jump right into Patriots. Uh, going to kind of be a little bit more of a free form episode um, today. Kind of going to do a str- <laughs> I don't want to say stream of consciousness, but, you know, kind of jump between different topics within uh, a certain topic. So, you know, focus Patriot for Patriots first. We'll kind of jump around a little bit for with some topics. Um, But we're going to get into it, Patriots, obviously, with another really frustrating loss um, on Saturday Saturday afternoon, I should say, with uh, most teams playing on Christmas Eve uh, this year. I think that's actually usually how it works, that, you know, if Christmas falls on a Sunday, they'll play games um, on Saturday. So most games... In week 16, we're on Saturday. There obviously were a couple games on Christmas uh, that actually kind of were somewhat decent games. You know, went at an overtime game and had another game that actually directly affected the Patriots. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, just another really disappointing loss for this Patriots team that just seems like they cannot get out of their own way, you know, in terms of making killer mistakes late in games, you know, that kind of take away a feeling of, okay, they got it. You know, this is now two weeks in a row where you really felt like, okay, they had a legitimate chance to win a game, you know, and put themselves in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, you know, and I think you obviously look back to last week Ramondre Stevenson runs in for the touchdown. Patriots take the lead, and you think, okay, here we go. The Patriots are going to get a stop. They'll go home after a 2-0 road trip, you know, with a chance to see what they can do against a really good Bengals team. And, you know, clearly Patriots defense couldn't get a stop. Raiders tie the game, and then, you know, you kind of, you know, you, 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 you know what happened after that. You know, we don't really need to revisit that, but, you know, and then you come into a game against 
the Cincinnati Bengals, I think in my opinion, one of the, if not the best team the Patriots are going to play this year. And yes, that includes the Buffalo Bills. You know, the Bengals just pretty much do what they want in the first half. Patriots don't do anything offensively. Then things start to happen in the second half. Some wild things start happening. The Patriots get back into the game. You know, Jacoby Myers gets a touchdown reception off a wild deflection. And, you know, lo and behold, the Patriots are in the game. Lo and behold, the Patriots have the football driving down the field, down by four points, with a touchdown that could win the game. And Ramondre Stevenson can't hang on to the football. Now, if you want to say that was his forward progress stopped, I'm not going to stop you from saying that. You know, I'm not going to say that it's bad officiating, you know, because I feel like it's kind of a lame excuse to sit here and be like, oh, they lost another game because of the refs. So, you know, you would like Stevenson to hang on to the football, but you would like the officiating to be consistent and be not something that you have to worry about. You know, whatever. It was a fumble. You know, it's not really... It's not really as much of an egregious error as that, you know, play in the Raiders game. Um, But it's just like... You know, you would like the Patriots to be able to not make critical errors in critical points of the game, you know. And I think that that has really kind of been the story of some of their losses late, some of their losses this season late in games, you know, have come with bad errors, you know, bad mistakes and things that, you know, I think just as a Patriots, as a lifelong Patriots fan, you know, I haven't really seen stuff like that. You know, I think when Tom Brady was here, you didn't really see stuff like that. You know, Tom is obviously, I think, the greatest quarterback to ever play. You know, you rarely saw him make mistakes in late game situations, you know, and I think that we are so spoiled that, you know, we just assume that we're going to win every single game. And then, you know, when we don't and there's a mistake that's made, you know, well, that's just how it goes sometimes. So, you know, I think that it's easy to sit here and, you know, bemoan the officiating that, you know, if there was if there was officiating that was, you know, correct, the Patriots could be a 10 and 4 team or 10 and 5 team. But, you know, we're seven, the Patriots are 7 and 8. They're, you know, out of the playoffs. There's still a chance that they can make the playoffs. Um, but I think it's just disappointing that the Patriots really had a great opportunity to, you know, get a huge win against a very good football team. And I think that, yes, certainly we're past the point of moral victories. But I do think at the same time, it was good to see this team fight back. And it was good to see this team not, you know, curl into a ball and give up like the Denver Broncos did on Christmas Day. You know, 51-14 to was the final score in that game. The Patriots chose not to give up and chose to get back into the game and give themselves a chance to win. And I think with this group, with how challenging it has been for the offense, to be able to get back into that game, I think that they deserve credit for that. Now, 
I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, you know, the offense is back. They battled back. But I think there still should be something to be said for coming back in a game like that, in a game that you could have easily just packed it in. You could have easily just said, okay, let's just get through this game. Let's put Zappi in in the fourth quarter. You know, they chose not to do that. And I think that it shows growth. You know, it shows growth in a team that I think, in my opinion, is kind of a young team and is going to be a young team going forward. You know, yes, still you have your Devin McCourty's, your Nick Folks, your Matt Slater's, you know, guys who have been here forever, guys who are in their late 30s. But moving forward, this is going to be a young team. You know, Mac Jones is going to be the guy for better or for worse. You have all these rookies this year that have come in and played major roles. You have a lot of younger guys that they think are looking to, you know, solidify a spot in the league. And so I think coming back in a game like that shows you that, okay, this is not a team that's going to quit. This is a team that is going to battle through, even though they may not be playing well. You know, and you've seen it, I think, in multiple games this year that they've lost, that they've not played their best but they've gone down fighting. And I think that that's really kind of all you want to see from a team that I think is going to be, I don't want to say a significantly younger team, but it's like the leadership is going to be younger. You know, Mac Jones is a a second year captain for a reason. You know, they believe in him. And I think we talked about this last week with, you know, all the rookies that have played, somewhat, you know, contributing roles, you know, others that have played major roles. And, you know, I think it just shows that the Patriots are willing to give these guys opportunities and give these guys opportunities to grow. You know, we've not seen, I think, a rookie, a rookie defensive back make as much of an impact that Marcus Jones has made this season, you know, had a, had a pick six in the Uh, game on Saturday, you know, had a tackle for a loss, had 14 tackles, had a pass defensed. You know, this is a guy that's been a big time playmaker for this team over the last couple of weeks. You know, the punt return touchdown to win the game, you know, that touchdown against the Bills, you know, the Patriots are finding ways to use him. And I think he's an example of a guy that I think is just a a guy that just has great skill and you can use him in a multitude of different areas. Now, other people can have their opinions about whether the Patriots, I don't know, you know, can have their own opinions about a player like Marcus Jones and think that, okay, he's just a gimmick player or whatever people are saying. I honestly don't really pay attention, but he's a guy that's making an impact. And I think, It was great to see him play probably one of his best games as a rookie this year. And he's had a couple of these games this year. And I think it may not be going the way that we all expect. You know, I think that a lot of us, including myself, may have been kind of, I don't want to say tricked into a false sense of security, but I do think based on the way that this team played last year and won 10 games, I think we all were assuming that, okay, the Patriots are back, you know, we're going to be a 11-12 win team, get through a round of the playoffs. But I think that 
as I said last week, I think the Patriots are still in the midst of a rebuild. They're kind of, I think, towards the end of it. I think with the last three drafts that they've had, that they've drafted starters, you know, I think it's just been a season where they've tried things out and things haven't worked the way they've wanted to. And I think that despite all you want to say about the coaching staff, what you want to say about Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and whether they're incompetent or whatever people want to say, the Patriots are in a playoff position or they're in position where they're in the mix. And it's like if the Patriots had, you know, taken care of the football late in games and had some plays that went the other way, this team could easily be 10-5. and five. This team could easily be 9-6. and six. And so I think if the Patriots were 9-6, and six, I think you might look at the offensive coaching staff a little bit differently. I mean, still, they've had issues. That's not to say that they haven't. But I think people are acting like they have the worst offense in the league and they are a horrible football team. And they're not. You know, they're right on the outside looking into the playoffs. And I think... Obviously, here in Boston, we have a tendency to make things seem worse than they are. And I think that's kind of what's been going on, where, yeah, the offense has had its issues, but they're still a competitive team. You know, I think the last two games, if you look at the critical mistakes that they've made late in games, and I'm not trying to blame the players, but it's like these last two games have nothing to do with the play calling. The Patriots could have easily won these last two games, even with the, whatever people want to say, subpar play calling or whatever, you know, whatever the buzzword is this week. It, you know, it's just interesting that it seems like if things had maybe gone a different way, you know, if they're nine and six right now, we might be looking at them a little bit differently. I mean, maybe not, but, you know. Things are not as bad as people think that they are, you know. And clearly, yes, Mac Jones and the offensive coaching staff have not always been on the same page this season. I think that's probably an understatement, but this is still a team that's fighting. And I think going into the last two weeks of the season, the Patriots still control their own destiny, which is kind of wild. The Patriots can win their last two games and get into the playoffs. And I think, you know, clearly... This week, it might be interesting with, you know, Tua under the concussion protocol and being doubtful for Sunday's game. The Patriots may have a chance to win this game. And I think even despite me not thinking that they really had a chance last week, lo and behold, they had the football with a chance to take the lead and a chance to win the game. So, you know, you really can't expect can't really expect things to go a certain way any Sunday. You know, any game can go any different way. And so I think the Patriots absolutely have a chance to win this game on Sunday. You know, now it becomes a little bit challenging because the Patriots most likely are going to have to go to Buffalo and have to win a game against the Bills team that in all likelihood is going to have to be try is going to have to be you know, playing to clinch that number one seed in the AFC. So in all likelihood, the Patriots probably cannot win that game unless something crazy happens. But hey, at least you can go into that last game playing for something. It's not like you're the Colts where 
you're playing a Monday night football game last night with, you know, nothing to play for in theory. So it's at least nice that the Patriots are playing for something. Do they get to the playoffs? You know, I'm not super hopeful, but, you know, anything can happen. So um, I think that, yes, despite the frustrating loss, I'm still pretty pleased with the way that... (laughs) The, w- the way that the team played and the way that they fought back. And, you know, I do think that this was interesting. You know, there was some news, I think, prior to the patriots Bengals game that um, Joe Judge, or excuse me, Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien is possibly emerging as a candidate to, um, you know, rejoin the Patriots and be, you know, the next, I guess, offensive coordinator or kind of whatever term you want to use. But, I did think that that was interesting and it did bring up kind of a certain kind of did bring up a point. And I think that there was something even said in this report that, you know, Bill O'Brien intended to finish out the remainder of his contract at Alabama and could have been an explanation for why the Patriots weren't able to, you know, hire him last year, you know, and hire him in the off season because, you know, he intended to finish his contract at Alabama, which, you know, does expire after this season. So, you know, I think the Patriots decided clearly that, you know, you can bring in Judge, bring in Patricia, two guys that have some experience on the offensive side of the ball with the idea that, you know, you kind of see what they can do. Now, have they done a great job? Have they done a good job? No, not really. But it's like this team, again, this team is still in a competitive position. And so I think, you know, clearly they didn't intend for the offense to be as poor as it's been this season. Um, But I think the idea was, okay, you bring in these two guys, you know, you see what they can do for a season, and then you bring in Bill O'Brien, and, you know, maybe you reassign both of these guys. You know, you move Matt Patricia back into a, you know, front office position, um, or you have him coach the line, or, you know, you reassign him somewhere else. Um, and then I think the same thing for Joe Judge, you know, could they reassign him back to special teams? You know, do they have him work with the wide receivers? The position that he coached, I think, with the Patriots prior to becoming the Giants head coach, you know. So I do think that there's a possibility that both of those guys remain on the Patriots coaching staff if they do bring in Bill O'Brien. And I think, you know, the Patriots may not have had any other options for like a play caller necessarily. You know, I don't know if they really trusted one of their other position coaches to call plays for probably the first time in their lives, you know. And so it's like, okay, was this the perfect coaching idea? Perhaps not. Because clearly it's not really worked out, but I do think that kind of the idea for not being able to bring back Bill O'Brien this past offseason, it kind of makes sense, you know, what they were thinking. Now, clearly, I think what they were thinking versus what actually happened and what's actually transpired are two different, two, two totally different things. I mean, I didn't think that they intended for things to be kind of this choppy or whatever. You know, so um, it is what it is, but I do think that this is a huge off season, And I think that, 
you know, we kind of briefly talked about this last week. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me in the Patriots offense is what they need is a James White type player, you know, a scat back, if you will, someone that can come out of the backfield to catch passes. Now, Ramondre Stevenson, I think for the most part, has done a really good job catching passes, but I think that you, I don't think they want to be, I want to be asking him to do too much. And I think that having someone like Ty Montgomery healthy, presumably, and on the roster, presumably next year, he could be someone that could kind of fill that role. And I think that that's what they were intending. Unfortunately, he suffered a couple injuries and he's, he had only played one game the season opener. So we'll see what they can do. You know, I think clearly there are some free agent decisions that they have to make on the offensive side, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but you know, look, this is a Patriots team that, yeah, for all the struggles, for all the things that have been difficult this season, they go into the last two weeks of the season still with a chance to go to the playoffs. So, you know, things are bad, but I think this is a team that they can compete with anyone. I mean, you saw you saw the game last week. They almost came back. You know, if they had gotten anything in the first half offensively, they probably could have won this game, you know, and could have been driving for a game-winning field goal in the last minutes rather than a touchdown. So, you know, it's really kind of just been a season that they've given games away, and that's really frustrating, but I think they're close. You know, I think that they're close to being a decent team, you know, close to being a team that can make the playoffs and be in the mix every year, which I think is is kind of what our expectations should be now, rather than being, okay, we have to get back to a Super Bowl and win, you know, so I don't know, whatever people want to say about, oh, Bill has to get one over on Brady or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever silly things people want to say, but you know, it'll be interesting to see against the Dolphins. You know, Patriots clearly had their issues offensively against the Dolphins week one. Um, but then again, that was week one. This is a Dolphins team that's lost four in a row. And this is a team that, again, has lost their starting quarterback. So it's a very winnable game. I absolutely think it is. You know, I think limit mistakes. That's really the thing. Limit mistakes, limit turnovers. And I think for the most part... They've kind of done an okay job of that since the very beginning of the season, but clearly they've still had huge issues late in games where there are just guys not holding on to the ball and not, you know, prioritizing securing the football. So, you know, I do expect this is going to be close, even with, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson, whoever the quarterback is going to be for the Dolphins. The Dolphins still have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. You know, you have someone that can get them the ball. They're very dangerous in space. So I'm very curious to see how the what the Patriots do. I mean, they think that you could see similar to what you saw week one where Tyreek Hill did get a lot of touches, but the Patriots didn't really allow him to beat them over the top, which I think is kind of the, the thing with both of these guys with how fast and talented they are is you keep them in front of you and 
look, if they're going to tally up 8, 9, 10 receptions, that's fine, but do not let them beat you deep because they will beat you and they will kill you. So, and I think for the Patriots offense, it's just getting good line, getting good protection. Mac Jones was sacked four times um, on Saturday. So that's got to be better. Ball's got to come out quick. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see who's healthy. You know, Devontae Parker has missed the last couple of games with a concussion. You know, I think that most of the time when he's been on the field, he's made some plays. So I don't know if he returns. You know, I think that uh, on the defensive side, Jalen Mills is a guy that's missed the last couple of games. But I think the Patriots have managed fairly well without him. I mean, I think that, and I was thinking about this before I started recording, the Patriots have done a decent job, I think, at defending the top receivers that they've played against the last couple of weeks. Um, clearly, you know, T. Higgins went off on Saturday. You know, he's kind of their number two receiver. Um, but I do think the Patriots have done a solid job against kind of the elite number one receivers. You know, they did a really good job against Devontae Adams last week. Um, and Jamar Chase this week only had seven or eight receptions for 79 yards. You know, so it's like, look, if you keep their yards per catch average around 10 or maybe a little bit over, that's fine. You know, not really great that T. Higgins was able to beat them deep a couple times, but, you know, I think they they hold their own, but kind of curious to see if Jalen Mills does return this season. It's been kind of weird that he's been out for a long period of time that he's missed, I think, at least the last four or five games. So be interesting to see what goes on with him. Hunter Henry, I believe, left the game with a knee injury. I think he and Hunter Henry, or he and Johnny Smith, excuse me, must have run into each other at some point. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's available. But, you know, for the Patriots defensively, I think is the biggest thing against this Dolphins defense and, you know, or against this Dolphins offense and get to the quarterback. Uche and Matt Judon have been exceptional this season. So you hope that the defense can continue what they're doing and the offense can take care of the football in critical situations. So, you know, I think the Patriots do win this game on Sunday. Um, I think the Dolphins without Tua and they kind of don't look... They don't really look like a good team right now, the Dolphins, in my personal opinion. So I think the Patriots may be getting this team at a pretty vulnerable point. Um, you know, what happens in Buffalo week 18 is anyone's guess. You know, I don't expect the Patriots to go up there and win, but crazier things have happened. So um, Patriots, Dolphins, uh, 1 o'clock um, on New Year's Day. 2023, we're finally there. So uh, later in the podcast, we will take a look at the uh, NFL playoff standings and um, the scores from week 16. So now we're going to move on. We're going to talk Celtics uh, came off a re- or coming off a really impressive Christmas Day win against the Milwaukee Bucks. I was really impressed with, um, really impressed with the offense in this game. Uh, the Celtics really seem to get back to get back to what's been working this season, and 
you know, playing with pace, playing quicker, being efficient on offense, and, you know, just kind of letting shots fall. You know, I know that that's not always a guarantee, but I think that you look at how efficient Jalen and Jason were, again, you know, Jason 14 for 22 from the field, 41 points, Jalen Brown 11 for 19 from the field, 5 for 9 from 3, 29 points. It just is, they play a game like that, and that's exactly what you want to see from them. You know, that's kind of the type of offense, the way that they move the ball is what you should expect night in and night out. You know, and I think that maybe shots are starting to fall again. You know, it's just, I think, frustrating when this team doesn't get their shots to fall. And, you know, what do they do to combat that? And I think that they've had some issues with that recently. But I think the last two games, they've kind of gotten back to the type of offense that they were running before this, you know, slide of losing five of seven or whatever it was. Um, But I thought, you know, Jason's Jason. And I think to most people might be the leader in the clubhouse for MVP this season. And he certainly put on a, you know, MVP quality performance um, on Sunday, on Sunday evening with 41 points, the seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, 10 for 10 from the free throw line. You know, it's always great to see that he is engaged, not only offensively, but defensively. You know, this was a game that kind of was the first time in a long time that I remember that this team was really active defensively, especially with their hands. You know, there are a lot of deflections and steals and things like that. Celtics had nine steals in this game. Jason had three. And I think it just, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a something that you notice and you notice every time they play a really high quality basketball game when they're being active with their hands and when they're stepping into passing lanes when they are just really engaged on both sides of the floor and I think that's how you tell that they're engaged when they're getting a lot of deflections when you know the Bucks are having a hard time driving it into the paint you know, the Celtics did a really good job defensively against Giannis. You know, he's a guy that is going to get his because he's just so big and so athletic. And, you know, it, it's 27 points for him is is easy. You know, that's what he can do just kind of on just kind of a, a base level. Um, but I thought the Celtics did a really good job forcing him into shooting jump shots, which you know, is not the stronger part of his game. I mean, clearly he's his strongest when he's driving to the basket and being aggressive. And the Celtics kind of forced him to shoot jump shots. Now, he's a guy that's still going to make the elbow jump shot, the, you know, short 12, 15 footers. But three-point wise, he's not going to make those. You know, he's one for five shooting threes in this game on Sunday. And the Celtics, I think, just did a great job making things difficult for him and not really letting any of the other Bucks have, you know, a really good game. I mean, Drew Holiday did have 23.7 assists and six rebounds, but I think the Celtics did a good job of limiting, limiting Giannis, but then also kind of limiting what the other Bucks players could do. So I think just an all-around great performance on Sunday. On, on Sunday. You know, Tatum and Brown are just 
when they're playing like that, it's just that's what makes you sit back and say, okay, these guys are the best duo in the league, and it's really not close. You know, when they're both playing at an elite high level, you know, and I think it was great to see that Jason went into the fourth quarter with, I think, 39 points, but Jalen was the one that took over in the fourth quarter and, you know, was dominant. And, you know, he was the guy that kind of took control in that game. And I think it's great to see that the both of them can play at extremely high levels, but the other one can kind of defer to the other one when they feel that someone else, you know, really has the hot hand. Um, so I think that that was, it's, it's always great to see. And I think, you know, again, just continues to burn that idea that, you know, they can't win together. You know, that, you know, really was only a idea born out of Boston sports radio, you know, big surprise there. So it just a really solid three point shooting night. You know, it was good to see the Celtics could see some more shots go in, you know, 48% from three in this game. And that was like, okay, that's more like what you would, what you've expected or, or kind of, or what you've seen from the beginning part of the season. They're not always going to shoot 48% from three. You know, that's just unreasonable. They're not going to be able to shoot like that the entire season. They're not going to shoot 59% from the field, but I think it just was good to see from kind of a motivation standpoint where it's like, okay, you can see the ball go in and you can be motivated. You can be like, okay, let's go do that again. And I think it's hard for them when the shots aren't falling. And I think that that's kind of the, maybe, maybe the knock on this team that they need to find, you know, other ways to be efficient on offense if shots aren't falling. And that is, getting to the free throw line, getting into the paint and taking those higher percentage shots. Now, the threes may not always fall, but I think that you need to be able to be a team that's still going to be able to play hard and be able to, you know, grind games when you don't shoot well. But this was a great shooting game for the Celtics. Um, I also thought Friday night's game against the Timberwolves was the same story. The Celtics shot really well and were able to uh, have a really strong uh, third and fourth quarter. Celtics outscored the Timberwolves 67-53. to 53. A really good fourth quarter. Jalen Brown, again, you know, was massive in uh, that fourth quarter. Had 23 points in that quarter, if I'm not mistaken. He had, yeah, he had 23 points in that fourth quarter, which was a career high for most points in a quarter for him. And, you know, again, maybe not as efficient in this game for Jalen. You know, it was 13 for 29, 3 for 13 shooting threes, but he was aggressive, you know, got to the free throw line 10 times, had the 36 points, you know, just was really getting after it in that fourth quarter. Jason was solid again. You know, Horford and Derek White had really good games, um, and I think... The Celtics did kind of a little bit more in this game in particular on Friday. They grinded it out, you know, did not shoot well from three, you know, 13 for 46, you know, 28%, 44% from the, from the field. And the Celtics were still able to, you know, power through and win this game. So I just hope that the Celtics have maybe kind of turned a corner a little bit from that 
tough stretch as they now they've won two in a row post the Houston Rockets tonight. You know, Houston obviously not a very good team, so should be another opportunity for the Celtics team to continue to play at the efficient, you know, offensive rate that they had been playing at before this, you know, little slide of losing five out of six. Um, Celtics do finish their homestand on Thursday night against the Clippers, and then the Celtics will travel um, at the start of 2023, four games in Denver, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and San Antonio before they return to the Garden on January 9th against the Chicago Bulls. So you got to hope that the Celtics can kind of move past this tough stretch, be able to kind of grind through some games. Um, this team is at 24-10, and 10, you know, best record in the league. So, you know, I think that they just kind of continue what you're doing. You know, take advantage of these home games. Take advantage of the rest of this homestand, the longest homestand of the season, because, you know, going into 2023, you have a lot of road games. You know, I think if you look at the first couple of weeks of January, the Celtics only have three games at home. So this is a team that's going to need to be able to find that consistency and be able to play at a consistent level on the road because as we saw the last time they were on the road, they kind of struggled a little bit. So kind of will be interesting to see how they do that first month of the year. Hopefully they can close out the month of December uh, playing some high-level basketball. So I think that that will do it for the Celtics. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bruins now. Um, all right, one last little note on the Celtics been great to see Robert Williams back in action and playing you know I think clearly is still trying to find his rhythm on the court and I think it's understandable after the time that he's missed um, you know still kind of hasn't gotten quite into the swing of things but you know still has that pogo stick athleticism um, and he is fun to watch so you know hope that that continues he continues to get more minutes you know hopefully maybe start some games in the next few weeks um, but I think the Celtics have done a great job in easing him into it, that, you know, bringing him in off the bench, not having him play 30 minutes a night, you know, having him be able to play in that pocket of 20 to 25 minutes that he's not playing, you know, huge minutes. Because I think, as we've seen, you know, he's a big time when he's in rhythm and he's playing at the highest of his ability. He's one of the best rim protectors in the league. And I think... The Celtics want to make sure that he is as healthy as he can be so he can kind of bring that added element um, on defense. So good to see his return and um, hopefully get some more minutes coming up as he continues to uh, kind of build his health. So now we're going to move on to the Bruins. Um, finishing up their uh, holiday break. The NHL took a break, or every team took a break from uh, December 24th to the 26th. Uh, so the schedule kicks back up tonight. Bruins are in Ottawa tonight against the, against the Senators. Last week, Bruins had a couple of wins um, against the Winnipeg Jets. Bruins fall behind 2-0 early in that game. Come back to win. Nick Foligno, the go-ahead goal in the third 
Bruins jump out to a 4-1 lead in New Jersey on Friday night. Hold on for a 4-3 win. And that's where things stand as we're into the, the holiday break. So I think just a really solid performance from this team last Thursday um, against a really good Winnipeg team. I think against a team that a lot of people don't know or could um, but the Bruins did a really good job of fighting back. You know, Jeremy Swayman allowed a couple of early goals, maybe not necessarily his fault exactly, but I think the Bruins did a really good job of chipping away, you know, coming back in that game um, and being able to, you know, tie the game in short order. You know, it's kind of wild what a crazy bounce can do. You know, Pasternak's goal that made it 2-1 to one was a wraparound that hit you know, some stanchion and bounced out in front, and it was an easy goal uh, for David. So I think it just goes to show you that this team will not quit. You know, that they can fall behind 2 nothing early and be like, okay, you know, we just stick to what's working. You know, we trust that we'll be able to get chances and bury them, and the Bruins did. You know, tied the game in short order within three minutes, um, and then Nick Foligno getting the go-ahead goal. And it's just been awesome to see some players like Nick that I think did not perform the way that they wanted to last season. But he's come in and has been tremendous. You know, he's been, I think, the, the play that he's had this season is what the Bruins envisioned when they signed him prior to last season. That, okay, this is going to be a guy that's going to be able to come up with big goals at big times, and I think that, unfortunately, he may not have been 100% healthy, and I think, you know, getting a guy healthy, getting a guy back in the swing of things after kind of a, a rough season is huge for the confidence of that player, but I think also the confidence for the room that, you know, you can look at a guy that, okay, coming off a tough season, you can come in and say the right things, and you can perform, and I think that it's, I don't want to say, like, has kind of confirmed the belief in that player. Because I think that, you know, Nick is a guy that's been around forever and has always been a fantastic locker room guy. You know, he's a captain in Columbus for a long time. And so I think, and not that he needed to prove himself to anyone in the room, but I think just the ability to go out and say, okay, last season was not my best season. I'm going to come back and I'm going to, you know, try my damnedest to succeed, and he's he's done really well, and he's really impressed me. You know, Charlie Coyle has really impressed me at the early start, start of the season. You know, I think that he's playing the best hockey that I've ever seen him play. You know, coming to the Bruins in 2019, really didn't know what to expect from him, but he's been just awesome this year, and I think it's been everything that everything that you could want from a third-line center, a guy that knows his role, plays the role really well, and is putting in the points. You know, 17 points in 33 games, a half a point a game. That's exactly what you want your third-line center to be able to do. He's putting pucks in the net. He has nine goals. You know, Felino and Coyle have been excellent. You know, Trent Frederick, I think, is really starting to figure it out as a player, which is great to see. He's been scoring some goals. Um, had an assist on Felino's go-ahead goal. Uh, and then, you know, looking at that game in New Jersey, 
Well, it was the David Pasternak show, and it's just it it is it is ridiculous the uh, things that that man can do on the uh, on the sheet of ice. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, if you look at what he was able to do at two goals in that game against New Jersey after the uh, goal that kind of got things going against the Jets, just fantastic, you know and. Jake DeBrusque has been on a heater recently. He's scored in back-to-back games. You know, and David Krejci and Pavel Zaka just have been tremendous, you know, playmakers. And I think it's just getting that depth of scoring every night is just so huge that, yeah, you can have games, I think, like the game against the Devils where, you know, it's Bergeron and Pasternak and DeBrusque, kind of the guys that you would expect. But then the Bruins can have other games where guys like Felino or Coyle or, you know, like uh, Krejci can score some goals. You know, some guys that maybe you wouldn't expect. Or, you know, for example, that Florida game, the Bruins got goals from Clifton and from Carlo last week. So, you know, the depth of scoring is great that you don't feel like you have to rely on David Pasternak to score a goal or two every single game. You don't need to rely on you know, Marchand and Bergeron to be able to put up multiple points every single game that the Bruins feel like, okay, we can get games from the bottom six, the third or fourth line that can get goals. Um, And I think that that's really been kind of the most impressive thing from this team, you know, and I think the thing that we were kind of begging for as Bruins fans that, okay, where is this secondary scoring going to come from? And a lot of these guys have delivered. And it's been really fun to watch. You know, Taylor Hall's been another guy that, you know, really can't say enough about him in terms of the attitude that he's had since coming here. And he's been very professional and has been team first and has done everything the team has asked of him to do. And I think it goes to show you that this Bruins culture here really can just be great for a player's development. And I think... Taylor, in my opinion, has always kind of gotten a bad rap as kind of a a me-first guy and not necessarily being a team-first guy. I don't think that that's necessarily been true of the people that have maybe said that about him in the past. But it's just, you can see, he just has become a much more complete hockey player playing for the Bruins, you know, being way more attuned to the details defensively and being in the right place at the right time and, you know, being another guy that I think can be a leader on this team. You know, I think a guy that a lot of people had high expectations for when he came in as the number one pick in 2010, but I think that he's in a perfect spot where he doesn't have to be the number one player on the team. He doesn't have to be the franchise savior as he was kind of billed when he was drafted in Edmonton all those years ago that, he can kind of be just another one of the guys. He can still play at a really high level. You know, he's tied for second on the team in points right now. But he doesn't have to feel the need that he has to be the guy that has to put up points every single game. That he can still pay paying attention to the details, doing the little things, and not having to be relied upon to do everything. So um, it's just been, again, a tremendous continuation of the start of the season for this team. Um, It's really hard to find any sort of issues with the way that this team has played. Um, And I think really the only thing you could look at is, okay, 
maybe Jeremy Swayman did not have the best start to the season, but I think he's starting to figure things out recently. You know, has been in net a little bit more frequently than he has been all season, which is good to see. I think that he might be in goal tonight. You know, Jim Montgomery's a little bit, a little bit more uh, close to the chest in terms of uh, giving away who's going to start which game. But I think that he's been good recently. You know, I think after giving up the, the early goals against Winnipeg, bounced back and was really good the rest of that game. And you know, Linus Olmark. I mean, what what else can you say about this guy's having a a Tim Thomas like season? You know, the year that the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. It's kind of, to me, in my opinion, very reminiscent of that season where Timmy just was doing crazy things and doing things that you wouldn't expect from a player like him. So, you know, Linus I think has gotten a little bit more rest recently, which I think is good to see, but you know, 19-1-1, you know, goals against under two, a safe percentage of 936. You know, these are numbers that should easily get them, get him the Vesna Trophy. I'm not going to say that he's going to play like this the rest of the season, but, you know, the numbers, the numbers don't lie, as they say. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully it continues. The Bruins will be uh, in Ottawa tonight, you know, as I previously mentioned one of the only teams that have beaten the Bruins in regulation this season. The Senators beat the Bruins in the fourth game of the regular season, 7-5. Uh, to five. In what was a high-scoring game, Ottawa's season opener, um, Jeremy Swayman was in goal for that game, so it'll be interesting to see, does he get the start tonight and kind of be able to exercise those demons from that first game? Uh, where the Senators jumped out to a 3-0 lead. Bruins actually came back to tie, but Ottawa was a little too much that night. So be interesting to see how they do. And then the Bruins will uh, travel to New Jersey, um, as they had actually just recently played the Devils on Friday, winning 4-3. They will play the Devils again Wednesday night at 7.30. And then the Bruins have uh, a home game on New Year's Eve against Buffalo, 1 o'clock start there. And then the Winter Classic. So, uh, obviously, I think we'll be coming to you guys next week after the Winter Classic. But really excited for this game. Bruins and Penguins should be a tremendous game. Uh, Pittsburgh's been playing really well recently. So, very much looking forward to this game. Should be super fun at Fenway Park. A 2 o'clock start on TNT. It's January 2nd, I believe, because uh, of NFL play on January 1st. So I think that might be why it's January 2nd. So uh, the weather is looking to be pretty solid there. Not going to be super cold. You know, I think the last I heard was the weather could be in the low 50s. So should be fairly comfortable if you're headed out to watch that. But it's always just a, a spectacle and just always great that the NHL continues to, you know, put on the Winter Classic. And I know that some people might say, you know, it's kind of become convoluted because they've been doing this every year, but it is just a nice tradition and it's always fun to have the Bruins involved. But I think we've been pretty spoiled as Bruins fans as the Bruins have been involved with the Winter Classic three different times uh, with the Winter Classic in 2019, 2016, and 2010. So just another opportunity, you know, for some of these guys to be able to go back to what they did as kids, you know, playing out on frozen lakes and things like that. So 
Uh, it should be really special. Looking forward to that game. Should be a really fun game against the Penguins. Um, but Bruins are, are back to work after the holiday break. We'll see how they do. Um, and then following the Winter Classic, Bruins will have a West Coast road trip. They're going to Los Angeles, San Jose, and Anaheim. And then they'll return home to play a couple home games against Seattle, Toronto, and Philly. So that's what it looks like for the next few weeks for the Bruins. We continue to get deeper into the season. Bruins are 27-4-2. 56 points lead the league. It's just been a great start for this Bruins team. So uh, looking forward to the next few weeks as the Bruins will play some games with a little bit more frequency. So I think that that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. Um, I think we're just going to go right to um, MLB free agency. Obviously, Eric and I will give you a little bit more of an in-depth conversation um, on Friday, but I think it makes sense to maybe just look at some recent moves that have happened. Uh, the Red Sox have been quiet as of the last week or so. Um, you know, no news on, on anything really, but here are some moves that have taken place within the last week. Obviously, Carlos Correa with the uh, interesting saga with turning down the or excuse me, the Giants stepping away from um, an agreement with him for 13 years. And then the Mets come in, sign him to a 12-year deal for $315 million. I still think that there are some questions about a physical. Um, so it's not been official that he has been introduced as a member of the Mets. But, you know, kind of a wild story as it was moments away from being introduced as a member of the Giants, and then the Giants pulled out because of a red flag in his in his medical. So, be interesting to see if that gets uh, changed. But that's kind of the only major news that has happened. Um, uh, Will Myers agreeing to terms with the Cincinnati Reds on a one-year deal. Um, and then the Giants signing former Mets outfielder. Um, Michael Conforto to a two-year deal. So not really too much noise. You know, some Red Sox free agents still haven't been signed. Nathan Navaldi, Michael Waka. So it'd be kind of interesting to pay attention to both of those guys. Um, and then as far as the Red Sox, you know, I'm not really sure what the plan's going to be. If it's going to be to trot out Trevor Story at shortstop, I don't necessarily agree with, agree with that. But, you know, we'll kind of see what's what's going to happen as we are, you know, kind of, believe it or not, kind of inching closer to uh, when pitchers and catchers report. So we'll obviously keep you updated on any more moves in the coming weeks. So I think we're going to jump back to the NFL, take a look at the scores from this past week, and then the playoff standings. Because believe it or not, we got two games to go before the end of the regular season. Uh, things got started in week 16 with the Jags beating the Jets 19 to 3 and the Jags making a playoff push uh, as they improved to 7 and 8 with the win 19 to 3 the final score on a Thursday night rainy kind of nothing game here but Jacksonville able to grind it out they've been really impressive this year especially late um, Evan Ingram has been awesome as tight end for Jacksonville, seven receptions in this game, 
Uh, Trevor Lawrence really playing at a high level recently, so the Jags are making things interesting in the AFC. Um, obviously, talked about Patriots, Bengals, the Bills uh, dominating the Chicago Bears on the road, 35-13. Kind of a grinded-out game for the Bills. Devin Singletary, 100 rushing yards. Josh Allen held only 172 yards passing. Two touchdowns. The Bills clinch the AFC East with the win. They improve to 12-3. and Bears fall to 3-12. and The Saints beating the Browns 17-10 in Cleveland. Both teams now 6-9. The Chiefs uh, staying in contention for best record in the AFC with a 24-10 win over the Seahawks. Chiefs are 12-3, so two games to go with the Chiefs and Bills. Still a possibility that either of those teams get the first round bye um, and the number one seed. The Vikings and the Giants went down to the wire. Greg Joseph, a 61-yard field goal as time expired. Vikings get another one-score one, pos- another, uh, one win. I think that's their 11th of the season. They improve to 12-3. Giants fall to 8-6-1. Justin Jefferson, another monster game. And Daniel Jones had a really good game through the air. Saquon Barkley with 84 yards and rushing touchdown, but not enough as the Vikings win. And the Panthers putting up 37 points, beating the Lions 37-23. Lions with a really a loss that really hurts their playoff chances. The Panthers maintain having a chance at the playoffs as they're just a game behind first place in the NFC South. So Panthers win. Deontay Foreman, 165 rushing yards and a touchdown for the Panthers. The Lions fall to 7-8. Panthers are 6-9. The Ravens. A grinded-out performance here as they beat the Falcons 17-9 to secure a playoff spot. So the Ravens going back to the playoffs at 10-5. Lamar Jackson still missing an action for the Ravens. They hope to get him back before the end of the regular season. Falcons drop to 5-10. Desmond Ritter with his first career start, 218 passing yards in the loss. The Texans... Shock the Titans. 19-14 Texans get their second win of the season, snapping a nine-game losing streak. Titans lose, and they think are still without, or are going to be without Ryan Tannehill for likely the rest of the season. So things are not looking good for the Titans as they drop to 7-8 and eight, or now even with the Jags for that division title. The 49ers beating the Commanders. 37 to 20, Brock Purdy, another really solid game. And the 49ers improved to 11 and 4, have won eight straight games. It's a big win for them. Tough loss for the Commanders as they fall to 7 7 and 1. Uh, the Cowboys beating the Eagles without Jalen Hurts. Eagles drop their second game of the season. Cowboys improve to 11 and 4, 40 to 34 with the win. That was a really entertaining game. Uh, Gardner Minshew taking over for Jalen Hurts. He had a really solid game, but Cowboys able to come away with the win. And then the Steelers rally past the Raiders on Christmas Eve, 13-10, the final score. Steelers maintaining their spot in a crowded um, AFC playoff chase. 
Raiders drop a really, really important game, as they probably are. I think they might be mathematically eliminated. We'll have to take a look. But big win for the Steelers, 13-10 in the final. Kenny Pickett rallying the Steelers for a go-ahead touchdown in the final moments. Then on Christmas Day, a couple of games. Packers beating the Dolphins to a tug of Iloa with three interceptions in the second half. Packers uh, continue their improbable playoff push as they were 4-8 and eight a couple of weeks ago, but they're 7-8 and eight now, and things are looking very interesting. They will play the Vikings Week 17, so that will be a very interesting game. Uh, Dolphins dropped their fourth in a row, and, you know, two is again in concussion protocol, and it just is it's disappointing. It's really disappointing that, I don't know, I really don't know what's going on with the concussion spotters. You know, it's interesting that, you know, you saw Devontae Parker leave the Patriots game, and, you know, they say it was handled properly, although, I don't know, I kind of don't really know what to make of this protocol because clearly you know I guess that there was something in the Packers game where Tua probably could have been pulled but he wasn't so it's just a fiasco in Miami and it's just it's not going to look good for them if they they don't make the playoffs or you know if Tua is not going to be able to play this week or next week you know who knows so uh, Packers anyway get the win improved to seven and eight Dolphins are eight and seven the Rams dominating the Broncos 51 to 14, Baker Mayfield, two touchdown passes, 230 yards. He actually had a pretty solid game. So uh, the Rams improved to 5 and 10 with the win. Broncos fall to 4 and 11 and fired Nathaniel Hackett, um, I think, yesterday. The Buccaneers win in overtime over the Cardinals, 1916. Bucks maintain their division lead. And then last night, the Chargers clinch a playoff, playoff spot beating the Colts 20-3. to So now we will take a look at the standings. Take a look at the playoff standings in the AFC. We have Buffalo and Kansas City that have both clinched their division. So they are both in play for that uh, number one seed. Cincinnati in third place at 11-4. and And then Jacksonville in the four spot, thanks to their... Uh, Win per tire head to head win percentage against Tennessee. So the Jags are in that fourth playoff spot. The Ravens with that first wild card spot, followed by the Chargers and the Dolphins, who are hanging on to that last playoff spot by a thread right now. Um, and then obviously the outside looking in the Patriots, the Jets, the Titans, and the Steelers, and then the Raiders are, are I think, mathematically still alive, but. Doesn't look very good for them right now. So, you know, as we said, the Patriots are, you know, in position or are, are somehow in contention. It's kind of crazy, you know, with the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Jets, which is important. And, you know, things get very interesting if the Patriots are able to beat the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins would still have a tiebreaker over the Patriots. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see these next few weeks. So um, in the AFC, the Browns, the Colts, the Broncos, and the Texans have been eliminated from playoff contention. In the NFC, the Eagles still hold on to that number one spot. They have clinched a playoff spot. Or actually, I want to go back to the AFC for a second because I think there are two playoff spots that have not been clinched. 
it'll be the AFC South winner and then the third wildcard team. So it'll be either Jacksonville or Tennessee in that fourth spot in the AFC. And then either the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Steelers, or the Ravens in that, or Raiders, excuse me, in that final playoff spot final wild card spot and obviously the number one seed got, does get a first round bye so you know team seeds two through seven will be playing on that first weekend of the playoffs so in the nfc eagles still with the number one seed followed by the vikings and the 49ers who have clinched their division eagles have not yet clinched their division although they can if they win this week both the eagles and the cowboys have clinched a playoff berth Tampa Bay is in fourth place, still leading that division, have not clinched a playoff spot yet. So the Eagles, Vikings, 49ers, and Buccaneers in position as the division winners, and then the wildcard teams, the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Commanders with the Seahawks, the Lions, and the Packers um, all on the outside looking in for that final wildcard spot, and then the Panthers and the Saints are actually just a game behind Tampa Bay, so they are still in contention. Rams, the Falcons, the Cardinals, and the Bears have been eliminated officially from playoff contention. So Week 17 gets underway on Thursday night. I think the teams are the Cowboys and the Titans. So those are the two teams that will be playing. Um, it has been just recently announced that J.J. Uh, Watt will be retiring at the end of the season. Um, he announced earlier today that he will be retiring after the season. Obviously, the Broncos firing Nathaniel Hackett. Um, Josh Norman is returning to the Panthers. And Derwin James was ejected last night for... Um, a hit on the Colts, uh, Ashton Doolin. So be interesting to see if maybe there's a suspension there. Who knows? But Chargers clinched a playoff spot last night. So I think we're going to take a look at take a look at the NBA. Take a look at some things or some notes from around the league. The Nets have won nine in a row. The Clippers, the big comeback win. Last night as they win in overtime. And the Blazers honoring uh, Damian Lillard recently as he became their franchise or became their franchise's leading scorer. Uh, we'll take a look at the standings right now in the NBA. As we mentioned, the Celtics, with the best record now, have a game and a half lead over the Bucks. The Nets are charging really hard. They've won nine in a row. They are just two games out of first place in the East. Uh, the Cavaliers are in fourth place, followed by the Sixers and Knicks. And then in the in the wild card, in the play-in positions, you have the Hawks, the Pacers, the Heat, and the Raptors, with the Bulls just a game back of that final play-in spot. In the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets are the number one team out west, a half-game lead over the Pelicans and a one-game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies. The fourth is the Clippers. Celtics will see them later this week. Then the Suns and then the Kings. And then in the playoff play-in positions, the uh, Mavericks, the Trailblazers, the Jazz, and the Warriors with 
the Timberwolves even with the Warriors for that final play-in position. So some games on tap tonight. Celtics and Rockets, obviously, at 7.30 at the Garden. A couple of games at 7 o'clock, the Lakers and the Magic, and then the Sixers and the Wizards. Wizards, or Sixers, excuse me, going for their ninth straight win tonight at 7.30. The Hawks and the Pacers, the Clippers and the Raptors will play. And then at 8 o'clock, Suns and the Grizzlies, the Spurs and the Thunder. And then at 8.30 on NBA TV, you have the Knicks and the Mavericks. And then at 10, the Hornets and the Warriors and the Nuggets and the Kings. So obviously the NHL is back after their uh, holiday break. Alex Ovechkin recently, last week, passed uh, Gordie Howe for second place all-time um, in goal scoring as he scored his 801st and 802nd goals against the Winnipeg Jets. So Alex Ovechkin is second place all-time. Um, there are a couple of NHL games that I think were postponed um, because of uh, winter storm hitting kind of the northeast area. It sounds like the Bruins are okay. They're not canceling any games. Um, but they're also not home for the next couple of games. Um, so I think I'll take a look at some games tonight. There are a lot of games in the NHL tonight, 7 o'clock. Bruins Senators, uh, Chicago, Carolina, Washington, and the Rangers also at 7 o'clock. And then at 7.30, the Islanders and the Penguins, 8 o'clock games, the Stars and the Senators, the uh, Maple Leafs and the Blues. And then the Wild against the Jets. Then 9 o'clock games, Colorado and Arizona, Edmonton, Calgary. And then 10 o'clock, San Jose, Vancouver. And then 10.30, Vegas and L.A. So before we let you guys go, I think we'll give you a quick update on uh, some bowl games that are coming up. Kind of give you a, I thought I'd give you a preview for the... Uh, college football playoff games that will be coming up on Saturday um, on New Year's Eve. TCU in Michigan at 4 o'clock, and then Ohio State and Georgia at 8 o'clock. The uh, Fiesta Bowl, Michigan and TCU, that will be in Glendale, uh, State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. And then the Ohio State-Georgia game will be 8 o'clock in Atlanta, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So I think both of these games are going to be really good. I think that both of these mashups, I think, are great. I think that you have TCU and Michigan, I think, that are very similar, are kind of similar teams. I think both really, really good defenses, both quarterbacks that have been excellent this year. Um, I'm concerned about Michigan because uh, Blake Corum is their, was their leading rusher this season and I think is out for the season with a knee injury. So I'm a little... Not sure if Michigan's going to be able to overcome the loss. Um, TCU is a team that I think has had the ability to play in close games and win close games. Um, and I also think that they're a little bit more motivated. Um, and I know that Michigan is certainly motivated after making it to the semifinals last year, losing to Georgia. But I think TCU has, I don't want to say the most to lose, but I think as a team that some people thought, okay, are they really this good? You know, they might have a little bit more added motivation. Um, I think this game is going to be close. Um, but I, I personally think that 
as good as J.J. McCarthy has played for Michigan this year, the quarterback. Max Duggan just has something in him that just it's it's hard to root against. It's hard to pick against a guy like that. So I like TCU in this game. I think it's going to be close. I think this might go to overtime, but I think Max Duggan and TCU get the win, you know, motivated after losing their uh, conference championship. But I think they beat Michigan um, in this game. Then Ohio State, Georgia, I think that Ohio State talent-wise is probably one of the only teams that can match up with a team like Georgia. Um, Georgia's really just been, really kind of been the unquestioned best team in the country the entire season. Ohio State, I think, can make this close. And I absolutely think that they could upset Georgia. I don't know if that happens. I think Georgia just, I think the, the defense that they have and the playmakers that they have, they might have just a little bit more. I think they beat Ohio State, but I think Ohio State makes this a game for about three quarters. And then I think Georgia kind of, you know, takes, I think, I think that they kind of wear down Ohio State late in the game. Um, and I think that they win. I think that they win by, I don't think it's going to be a one possession game, but I do think it's going to be like 10 or 12 points, you know, 38 to 26 or something like that. Um, so I do expect TCU and Georgia to win. Very excited to see both of these games. Uh, some other games coming up. On Friday, you have the Orange Bowl, Tennessee against Clemson. Um, there are some games actually tomorrow that I think are worth watching. Um, tomorrow, the 28th, the Liberty Bowl, Kansas against Arkansas. Um, and then the Holiday Bowl, Oregon against North Carolina. Kansas, Arkansas is at 5.30. Oregon and North Carolina is at 8 o'clock. So I think both of those games will be good to watch. Um, and then on Thursday... 20th ranked Texas plays 12th ranked Washington. That's 9 o'clock. That's the Alamo Bowl. Um, and then obviously the Orange Bowl is Friday. And then Saturday, obviously you have the playoff matchups. And then Alabama, 5th ranked Alabama will play 9th ranked Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. And then January 2nd, you have the uh, Cotton Bowl Classic, Tulane against USC. And then Penn State against Utah in the Rose Bowl. And then the national championship will be January 9th in, uh, or at SoFi Stadium in California. will be the two winners of TCU in Michigan and Ohio State in Georgia. So should be some good games later this week on the bowl schedule. So uh, if you're interested, definitely check them out. Um, so I think... That's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, great to be back on the podcast. Uh, wish you folks a happy and healthy new year, as we'll be coming to you next week in 2023. So that will be good to good to be back with you folks. Really excited to uh, put out the Guest Friday with Eric Bellier later this week, so you can check that out. Um, and yeah, you know, always listen on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, you know, follow the social pages, send me any, anything, you know, you might be wanting me to talk about on the podcast. I'm always interested in, in, uh, new ideas. So we'll talk to you folks in 2023.